0: At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We live in a world full of information, literally at our fingertips. Among all the claims of truth in the world, it can be hard to separate fact from fiction. This is often the case when it comes to the Christian faith. Do we understand the truth of what we believe, and can we articulate it to others? In The Essentials, Why Truth Matters, we'll use the affirmations of the Apostles' Creed as a guide to teaching us the core doctrines of the Christian faith. Join us each week as we affirm the foundational truths of Christianity so we can stand on the bedrock of God's truth and share that good news with the world. So it, I, I always love the opportunity uh, to preach that uh, God has been kind, uh, that I started off my adult life in uh, vocational ministry, pastoring churches, and even uh, Angie and I were a part of, a, of the work of planting churches and planting campuses. And, uh, and now, as Jeremy says, uh, I have uh, transitioned into, uh, into corporate life where, uh, like you, tomorrow morning I will report, I will uh, stare at Excel spreadsheets until my eyes start to pop out of my head and deal with business logistics and, and metrics, but... Uh, the thing that I get to do is I lead Thomas Nelson Bibles, and so I publish Bibles for a living. It's not a bad gig if you can get it, and and so obviously I have a deep and profound love for the Word of God like you do as a church family, and to know that you have been walking through this series of messages based out of the Apostles' Creed uh, of connecting us all together. What is it that is our common confession? And we come today to this passage in Ephesians chapter 4. So if you've got your Bibles, let me encourage you to, to open up your Bibles or turn on your Bibles, whichever might apply to you, depending upon which generation you're a part of, uh, to Ephesians chapter 4, where this is a densely packed passage of Scripture from which we're going to work on off of the idea of I believe in the holy universal church. Now if you have been around for in church life for a long time, uh, like I have been, uh, I grew up actually in Birmingham, Alabama, and I was a part of what was known at our home church as the cradle role. Which, when my mom and dad found out that mom was pregnant with me, then baby nation was put on the role at the church. I mean, so like I literally have been in church since before I was born, and I remember learning about the Apostles' Creed. And, uh, and, and we have, for the purposes of modern church, we have adjusted a couple of, uh, of the words within the, uh, within the Apostles' Creed. When I was in seminary, we would recite the Apostles' Creed with regularity. And, and that particular line, it, it reads from its tra- English translation some years ago, the Holy Catholic Church, but it's lowercase c. And so not Catholic in terms of the Roman Catholic Church, but that word Catholic does mean this idea of universal church. And today as we, as we kind of plow through Ephesians 4, 1 through 16, and I'm just going to hit high notes on it, I just want you to keep in mind that when we speak about the universal church, we are connecting ourselves not just to other churches that are here locally in Plymouth, And not just churches that are in the larger Detroit metro region. But we're talking about all of the Christians that are alive today. And all of the Christians who have ever lived in history. And all the Christians who are going to live. What is this common confession of faith that we find anchored and rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That builds itself out throughout the New Testament. That we see the prophecies that are fulfilled in Christ through the Old Testament, how God has revealed Himself from the earliest portions of Scripture and all of the work that He he has done to bring us His revelation, that we are confessing with the history of the church and with the church globally that these are the things that we believe. And this is critical, as we're going to see from the words of the Apostle Paul in, in Ephesians 4, that we not just believe that there is a church. You believe that you showed up this morning. Congrats! Uh, but that this church and and our and your personal connection into this church and the church actually has enormous spiritual implications for you as an individual believer. But how it is that we even work out the gospel? So as Jeremy and I talked about this particular passage and coming into this moment. Uh, it is with kind of, with a a themed kind of idea that God's church is where God's people grow in God's image. Now, can you grow disassociated? Yeah, but this is the place where God has intention that He and that's why throughout the New Testament. You see all of these beautiful metaphors for what the church is. That it's a family. We're going to see that it's a body. Uh, There is a connectivity to who we are. And it is not intended that we would out just kind of roam around on our own trying to live out the Christian faith. But that we do this in connection with one another because we want to collectively help one another grow up in the image of God. And so, in the Apostles' Creed, as it speaks about that I believe in the Holy Universal Church and the communion of saints. Now, communion is likely not a word that you're going to use this week. It's not kind of a common vocabulary word. You're not going to go to work tomorrow and talk about the communion on your task force, on the, you know, somewhere on the manufacturing floor. But And so, I was, I was trying to just roll over in my mind... Like if we came up with a really modern kind of phrase for this idea of the communion of the saints of how we relate together, uh, I'm, you know, I'm not a complex person. I try to be a simple man. Uh, my wife might disagree with that. Um, but if I reach back to my roots uh, from where I grew up in Birmingham, Alabama, I would say that what the intention here that it is the communion of saints it is that we are a people that are up in each other's business. I mean, that's what, that's what this means, is that we are up in each other's business. That we're not just leaving each other alone, and there is no intention that we be left alone. But that we are pulling back the veil and inviting people deep into our lives, and that when other people within the body of Christ begin to put up those barriers and the walls... That we call shenanigans on that. And we say, no, that's not the way that we live together. That there is a unity and there is a communion. There is a depth of relationship that we are seeking for one another. Because here in this passage that Jeremy has already read for us, if you just look at verse 1, Paul the apostle, this early leader of the church, says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner Worthy of the calling which you have been called. Now, one of the things I want you to just kind of keep in mind for both this passage and other letters in the New Testament, these epistles that are written by the Apostle Paul, is that in general, half to two-thirds of each one of his letters is doctrinal. That's how it is here in Ephesians. Ephesians chapters 1 through 3 are all doctrine. It is deep thinking, deep thought about what it is that uh, salvation means. And then the second half of Ephesians then is all very practical and applicable kind of information. And so Paul says, based on all of this mystery of the gospel that has been revealed to us, then I want to encourage you to walk in a manner that is worthy of your calling. And and he immediately goes toward the unity and the building up of the body of Christ. He doesn't pivot and say, so go care for the poor. Which the New Testament and the whole of the scripture text is very clear that the people of God should care for the poor. He doesn't pivot and say, and you should go thunder against the injustices of society which I think that the Bible is also very clear. We should be a people of justice, that advocate for justice. But that's not where he goes right now. In this particular passage, in this instance, as he's writing to the Ephesian church, that we want to pull the meaning out, he pivots from, let me go from telling you and explaining to you the mysteries and the profound nature of the gospel that has saved you from your sin. And now, if you're going to walk worthy of that gospel... Let me tell you how you should relate to one another. So oftentimes we think that the outworking of our salvation in the gospel immediately means we have to hit the streets. We got to go find a need and meet it somewhere out there. But God is reminding us that there is this beauty to the depth of our fellowship. That one of the great outworkings of the gospel of you and I being saved by the, blood of cross, by the blood of Christ shed on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, is that we would rightly relate to one another inside the body of Christ, loving one another in a way that is unfathomable to the world around us. And so uh, in, the, in the heritage of all good preaching, I've got three points. However, I do not have a poem or a deathbed story, so you're okay. So let me point out first with verses 1 through 6 that God's church is where He unites His body. Now this is one of those things where you say, well, of course it is, Philip. I mean, we showed up. I mean, here we are on a Sunday morning where I could be home. I could have slept in. I could have stayed in my pajamas. You know, I could have taken the day off, obviously. But this is one of those things that it, we have to say it because we face the temptation... But the Scripture is clear. There is no allowance in the New Testament for an amputated limb from the body of Christ. There is no allowance for a limb of the body of Christ to be disjointed. We are intended to be connected to one another. Let me pick up in verse 2, where he says that we're supposed to walk in this worthy manner. He says, "...with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love." eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Now, just as a parenthetical statement, this, as I said at the beginning, this is a densely packed passage. That there is no way to get down into every phrase. So I want to encourage you today, over the next few days of your devotional life, this is a great passage for you just to sit and, and just kind of mull over and read, and every day read over and over and over again and really dig into all of these ideas, as I will not have the time to do so in the next 18 minutes and 21 seconds uh, in theory, but will actually be more like 23 minutes and 47 seconds. Do notice that in verses 2 and 3, that Paul is calling for us to have an eagerness to maintain the unity, that we would be humble and gentle and patient and bear with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity. I don't know about you, but sometimes I am not eager to maintain unity. Like many times I am eager to be proved right and for you to be proved wrong. I, uh, there is just a thing. A- Angie, my wife, is with me here today. Um, Angie and I have a daily thing where um, we have turned into elderly people, and we play Wordle every day, and, um, and we send our Wordle score to each other every day in order to determine who is the smartest, And we actually put that in our text that we send to our scores to each other where one of us will do it first and we'll send our score and the other one will send it. And we'll have to either admit, you're the smartest today, or we will get to declare, I'm the smartest today. I mean, it's just a little funny gag that we have with each other. It's just a thing that happens every day in the nation household. But unfortunately, that works itself out into a bigger way in our lives that we do like to be right. And, and not so much we like to be right, but sometimes it's that we like other people to be wrong. But instead, as Christians, when it comes to our relationships within the body of Christ, we should be eager. It says that we bear one another's burdens. Like, that takes effort. That takes going the, effort, the extra mile. Being patient with somebody is not easy. Because it means that I've got to carry the load that they should be carrying. But this is where we maintain peace and unity. And then he says there in verses four, five and six, he uses the word "one" over and over and over again. One body, spirit, uh, one Lord, faith, baptism, one God and Father over all, who's in all, through all and in all. Between these two little parts of the passage, you see that there is a foundation for our unity. And then there is a behavior pattern out of that foundation. We can try to maintain the behavior pattern of being nice to each other, being eager to bear one another's burdens, to try to take care of one another. But if you don't have the foundation of believing and building your life on the one faith on the one baptism, on the one Holy Spirit's work, on the one God and Father who is over all things. If you lose that foundation, then you're going to lose the behavior pattern. We need both. And it's knowing about God's kindness that will then maintain our unity and will breed unity among us. But if we try to build unity among the body of Christ, even within the church, on anything but the good news of Jesus Christ that transforms us eventually we will walk away from it. Now there is this illustration I wanted to to tell you that, that one day kind of laid out a unity in the body of Christ that was not like anything I'd ever seen. I was on a I was on a uh, on a preaching trip when I was in Seoul, South Korea and and all of the churches that I encountered in South Korea all did this one thing. I'm not going to make you do it today, but it was something that I witnessed in all of their churches where they would they, would, they all had a, a moment of congregational prayer like we did. and um, But they did it very differently because the pastor would call for the church to unite their hearts together in prayer, which normally here means somebody's going to have a microphone, and they're going to say the prayer, and everybody is going to agree in your heart. But in the churches in South Korea, when it was time for the congregational prayer, that meant that everybody prayed out loud all at once. And I saw this in small churches and in big churches. There was one particular church I was in that there were several thousand people in the sanctuary that suddenly everybody is praying out loud at once. And it wasn't for like... 10 or 15 seconds, like it went on and on and on and on, just people absolutely pleading before God because of the needs that are in their lives and other people's lives. And I found out afterwards, because I don't speak Korean, and so it was just like, I don't know what to do with this, and so I'm just going to pray along with everybody else, but I found out afterwards that one of the major prayers that happens during those times is they are actually praying for the geopolitical barriers that exist between South Korea and North Korea to come down so that they can carry the gospel to all of their countrymen that are in the northern part of their territory that are absent of a witness of the gospel. I mean, there is just this fervent unity among them all around the gospel of Jesus Christ and the impact that it could have and it informed everything about how they lived because you and I are designed for this we are designed for this kind of fellowship that is that urgent that is to be pursued in that kind of way because God our father is God the father son and holy spirit who exists in an eternal trinity which is a mystery to us, and He has created us in His image, and we are created for fellowship. We are created for relationships with one another. And the church's unity, founded on the eternality of God and His kingdom and the good news of Jesus Christ, We should be a people that are pursuing this kind of unity within the confines of the body of Christ. Now, the world is going to offer this to you in all sorts of different ways. They're going to offer you unity through social media and through your company's mission statement. They're going to offer you a brand and a form of unity through everything from pubs to running clubs. They're going to offer you an opportunity for unity with the World Series and the Super Bowl and the World Cup and Comic-Con. You're going to find your tribe somewhere. But it's all going to fall apart eventually because it doesn't have an eternal foundation. But here, grounded on the gospel, walking in a manner worthy of what we've been called to, We can walk in unity in Christ within the body of Christ. So I want to just ask you this question. I'm going to ask you three different questions this morning. This is question number one. Are you pursuing unity in the church? Not just waiting for it to happen. Not hoping that somebody's going to come alongside of you. But are you pursuing unity in the body of Christ? Are you looking for ways... To walk more deeply into people's lives. To connect more deeply with the people of your local church family and beyond. The second thing I want to move to in verses 7 through 13. Is not just that God that God's church is where he unites his body. But that God's church is where he builds up his body. This is a place where God is expanding the work of ministry. Again... Follow along beginning at verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And then he goes into this whole deep theological statement about Christ ascending and descending and ascending. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth. to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. You and I are given the grace, the opportunity, and the abilities to aid in the expansion of the ministry of the church into the world. Verse 7, he says, Grace was given to each one of us. And I know that the temptation is to say, Well, not me. Like, I'm just... A software engineer. I can't expand the work of the kingdom of God. I I just push a broom at work. Like I am retired and done with work. I am this. I am that. I'm the other. And yet here, clearly, plainly in the scripture, God says to you and to I, everyone who is a member of the body of Christ, that there was grace given to each one of us. Now he does, then, in verse 11, state clearly that there are some among us that are called to very specific roles. Like, for example, there are people that are called to the role of pastor and teacher in the church. And oftentimes those people have like a full-time vocational role in those things. But, but we cannot ever just kind of sit back on our haunches And just wait for the expansion of ministry to happen. Because it says grace was given to each one of us. And that all of us are are part of the equipping nature of the church. And that we are all working to help people attain unity in the faith. Knowledge of the Son of God. Maturity. Fullness of the stature of Christ within us. It just reminds me that we all, one, need help from somebody else. Like, I I am not fully mature yet. And I am grateful for the friends in my life that live both locally in Nashville and around the country that I can get on the phone with at any given time, I can ring them up on FaceTime, I can call them, I can text them, I can message them, that they can get deep into my life when I need help, when I need wisdom, when I need encouragement, when it is that I am stuck in a rut and I need somebody to push me out of it, that I need help and I can know that the body of Christ is filled with every single member has been given a grace, gift from God, to help all the rest of us. Here's the deal. Everyone needs everyone. There is not a member of the body of Christ that is not needed. And everyone in the body of Christ needs everyone else in the body of Christ. We are all interdependent upon one another. If you ever have an opportunity to go out to the west coast and, and visit the Sequoia National Forest, you should do it. I got to... I got to go in there one time many, many years ago. One of the most fascinating things about sequoia trees, the largest trees uh, on our continent, one of the largest trees on the planet, is, is how different they are from the pine trees that I grew up around in the southeastern quadrant of the United States. Pine trees are spindly little trees that whip around in the wind and they hardly ever fall over because they have a tap root that goes deep, deep, deep into the ground. And they, they are independent operators. The sequoia trees are enormous. They, they're gigantic to look at, but none of them have a deep taproot. None of them have a root that goes deep into the ground. Instead, their root system spans out and intertwines with all of the other roots of all of the other sequoia trees... So that when the winds come and the storms come, they don't blow over because they are all leaning on each other. They are all dependent upon one another. And you and I need that sense of interdependence so that we can expand the work of ministry far beyond ourselves. Here at Woodside, very oftentimes you hear about what's going to be your next step. Is your next step to belong to Christ? Is it that you've not yet come to a A relationship with Jesus and you need to confess him as Lord, confess that you believe in the resurrection. It could be that you need to belong to the church. You're a Christian, but you're not connected into a local church family. Maybe you're in the church, but you you need to belong to the family by getting into a life group where you can live this up, in, and out kind of lifestyle of, of being connected with one another as you encourage one another in ministry. Or you need to belong to a team where you are exercising the grace and the gifts that God has given you so that you can minister to the community at large. But whatever it is, it's the idea of are you focused on making progress? Not just like there's some unattainable goal out there that you want to be the most mature Christian that ever lived, but am I just taking a next step in my journey with people that are with me? And so, here's the second question I would ask you. Am I discipling and being discipled every week? It's a question that I ask myself very regularly. I don't always pass the test here. But this week, if you were to look back at last week, could you answer that question with a yes? That last week, I was both discipled by a friend and I discipled somebody else. You say, well, Philip, that seems like a really high standard. Like, does that mean I led somebody through a systematic theology? Like, I gave a lecture on the eschatology of premillennialism versus amillennialism. You know, did I use big words that nobody else understands? Like, what does that mean? And I, I just want to say, here's what I think discipleship really is. It's walking shoulder to shoulder with somebody through life. I mean, discipleship does not mean that you get 17 steps ahead and yell from the cheap seats about how terrible they're doing life and that they are just a giant jack wagon. That's not discipleship. Discipleship is simply walking side by side where you are just spurring one another on to love and good works in Christ, where you are just walking with people along in the faith, not that you are on a pedestal, not that you are way ahead, but that you just decided you're just going to lock arms. And so can you look at your life and say, I am being discipled and I am discipling someone else. And then thirdly, I want you to look at verses 14, 15, and 16, where I think that we need to move from God building up his body to thirdly, God's church is where he grows his body. This is this internal measure of growth that you and I can have. Verse 14 says, So that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now, I could just pause on that last word, that last phrase, to say, are we building ourselves up in love as a test case for us? Would that be the hallmark of the growth that is happening in our lives, your life, the, the discipling life of the church? Or is it, you know, behavior modification? Is it just everybody, you know, do well and, you know, stay on your best behavior? This is one of those quotes that floats around. It's always attributed to Mark Twain, the great American writer, although I can't actually find a source for it. Uh, But apparently Mark Twain was not a huge, um, he he was not a big fan of the church. And supposedly, whether he said it or not, it's, it's an important test for us. But supposedly he once said that church is nothing more than good people standing in front of good people telling them to be good people. Now if that's all we are, we should just like close up the books and not come back. Like anybody can do that. But instead, is it that we are growing up into Christ in the love of God? Because all of us start out as infants. He says there in verse 14, so we'll no longer be children. There's several other passages in the New Testament that deal with our infancy, that that's where we start and we start on milk. And so no matter how old you are, when you come to faith in Christ, you're a spiritual infant. That's okay. We all start there. Whether it is that you come to Christ in your childhood or in your teenage years or in your adulthood. You've got to start and you've got to start growing. But he says, don't, be, give, don't, don't fall prey to all of the traps that are out there that are going to keep you in infancy. Not the faddish doctrines, not the human cunning, not the deceitful schemes, not the broken worldviews, not your own predilections towards sin, not the dark forces of the enemy. But instead, we need to escape these traps with one another by helping one another. He says in verse 15, by speaking the truth in love. And you and I know that those two ideas, truth and love, have to correspond and they have to go together. Because love without truth is going to turn you into a spineless helicopter parent that just allows any kind of selfish behavior from other believers. And truth without love will turn you into a harsh, legalistic dictator who just wants behavior modification from everybody to make sure that the kids are quiet, the teenagers don't make a mess, and the the other adults don't gossip about each other, at least not in front of you. But truth and love of the gospel brings a total transformation that moves us from the elementary items to the more profound mysteries of who God is, the profound mysteries of His Word, the profound mysteries of His mission in the world. Because it says that we are to grow up, there in verse 15, into Him who is the head, into Christ. That it's from the head, it's from Christ, that the whole body is joined together by every joint and with which it is equipped. Remember, there are not supposed to be any amputated limbs to the body of Christ. We're not supposed to be out of joint with one another. And so we need to grow up into Christ. Now, I love your church. I've loved it from afar for a long time. And, and there are lots, of, and I've had the opportunity to lead churches and be a part of, a, as a member of churches and be pastor of churches and be on staff at churches. I love church. But I know that oftentimes we get caught up in our, in our process. And the process is, is, is intended to support something that is not just the process. Now, I asked you, are you pursuing unity in the body of Christ? And I asked you, Are you discipling and being discipled every week? But when it comes to this idea of of growing up as a member of the body of Christ, I love your process and I support it. And I want you to be a part of it. But here's the question I want to ask you. Do you have a clear, unobstructive view of Jesus? In your life, is this the driving force? That you have a clear unobstructed view of Jesus. There are a lot of things that spiritually you can put your mind on as to what is your aim and your goal. It can, it can be that beautiful godly grandmother who prayed for everybody, that you just want to be like her. Or it can be that friend that's always out on a mission trip and always doing something that is daring and bold for Jesus. And those are great examples that that we should be mindful of. But in your life, what is the driving force of your growth? It can't be another person and their example of Jesus. They wouldn't want it to be that. But in your life, is it that you keep before you a clear, biblical, compelling vision of Jesus? And what you truly want is Jesus. Not that you can check the box... I attended, I read, I studied, I knew the thing, I didn't give in to the sin, I, I, I did the right thing, I engaged in the ministry team, I showed up, I hugged, I hands shook. You know, I, 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 you know, we have the spiritual gift of casseroling one another at hard times of life. But is it that what drives you is that you just want to see Jesus for everything that He is? Let me tell you one other global church story that I'll conclude with. Again, several years ago, I was in Southeast Asia uh, on a trip where I was teaching and um, had spent uh, about a week in the country of Thailand and then went up to the northern reaches of Thailand and we crossed the border over into Myanmar. Some of you will remember it used to be called Burma. And we traveled deep into Myanmar, into this kind of smallish city where there were two Christian churches that were not allowed politically, they were not allowed to associate with one another. There's a lot of fear in the government there about influences of of, uh, faith and Christianity. So I ministered in one during the week and on Sunday went to spend time with this, this Burmese church about 120 people, and they asked if I would preach on that Sunday morning, and so of course I was preaching through a translator into their uh, particular tribal dialect, and it, it was hot, and it was just this cinder block building, but it was this, this passionate, lengthy worship service of uh, children up through uh, senior adults, and after I preached, we had our service, and after I preached, we ate lunch. I'm not exactly what it was that I ate that day, but I prayed the missionary's prayer. Lord, I'll get it down if you'll keep it down. Um, And so the pastor came up to me and the interpreter, and he said, "Um, after the people are finished eating, they'd like for you to preach again. And I was like, you know, okay. So, you know, turn the page in my notebook where I've got sermon outlines. And so afterwards, they all gathered back into their little makeshift sanctuary, and I preached again, and I sat down, and then the pastor walked back over to me, and he said, um, through the interpreter, when you're ready, the people would like for you to preach again. (laughs) Turn the page, okay. Well, after my seventh sermon that day, like I had to tap out, like, you know, the voice will not go any further. Because they were just so hungry to see Jesus, they just wanted to hear more about Jesus, and and, and, and the pastor could have preached all day, but you know it's the, you know the guy from the other country and the interpreter and the whole thing. They were just like, and you know what they did when I said, "Well, I can't preach anymore." Somebody else preached, uh, like they had three more sermons after I was done, because they just wanted to see Jesus. And I just want to challenge us this morning that that's where our hearts can be. That is not out of reach. We get comfortable. We get settled. We settle. And we have this going and this giving God. And we should not have a settled and sedentary life with Christ. And so let me just... Let me just plead with you today, as I'm going to lead you in prayer in just a moment, that you would just say, God, let me have a clear biblical vision of who Christ is. Let's pray together. Father, we are so grateful that the gospel does not uh, go out, that it returns void, but that you accomplish everything that you intend with it. And Lord, I would ask for these friends of mine that are gathered here for worship, That you would bless them, that as they study your word, they will see the clear revelation of who Jesus is. That as they meet together in life groups, that they would just share what Jesus is doing in their lives. That Lord, that as they see one another struggle, that they would come alongside of them and speak the words of truth in love. That Lord for those that are struggling with doubt and skepticism, that you would give grace and encouragement to them about the truth of the gospel, about the resurrection of Christ, about the hope that we have in Him. Lord, that you would lead us in the way everlasting, that as we grow, that we would just fall more and more deeply in love with Jesus and the great hope and joy that we have from His salvation. For it's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org slash connect to introduce yourself today.